Hey, Hill City Church, uh, so glad that you're carving out time to gather with us around God's uh, word. Uh, we are starting a brand new collection of sermons today around the book of Romans. Uh, we are gonna go through the entire book together. And I really believe that our time together in this text uh, is gonna be one that is rich for you. It's gonna be rich for us uh, to begin to hear more and more of Paul's thought on what the gospel is and what this gospel means to this church in Rome. And so I want you to come with me uh, to Romans chapter one. We're gonna begin in the very, very beginning, uh, verse one, and here's what the Bible says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was a descendant from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all of the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you that it is by your spirit that we receive your word. And it is by your spirit in which we understand your word. And so, Lord, I pray now, Lord, as we dive into this text, Lord, that you would open our hearts and you'd open our minds. God, that we would receive from you spirit unto spirit. Lord, that you would shape us, that you would mold us, that you would challenge us. Do what only you can do, Jesus. And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor and all of the praise now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. And so as we dive into the book of Romans together, we know that Paul writes this text. And, and many would believe that this is Paul's kind of best work. Uh, this is kind of the, the top shelf of Paul's work in the New Testament. It's rich for us, it's rich theologically. It gives us words and phrases like justification, sanctification. There's a sense where there is some real dense content in this text, but I don't want us to, in light of the theological constructs and the doctrine that is kind of in Romans, I don't want us to simply view the text just as that. I want us to see the text, not just as theological, but to see it as pastoral. You see, Paul writes this after a kind of a season of ministry in the Mediterranean. He had about three months where he was in Corinth. And, and so he kind of found some margin and he found some space. He, he's not writing this to just simply address behavior or issues. If you look at some of his other work in the New Testament, you can see where Paul is directly uh, sort of addressing some issues, directing some, addressing some behavior. That's not necessarily what Paul's doing here to the church at Rome. You see, he understands that there are groups of Jews and there are groups of Gentiles, and they're trying to figure out what it looks like for them to be one church. What, what does it mean for them to embrace not just the history, but to embrace what Jesus means and what Jesus has done for the community of faith? And so as we dive into this text, it is one that's rich. I'm hoping that maybe you'll get a new journal. You'll get something to begin to take some notes because as we move through this book, I believe that you will get from it what you put into it. I believe each week as we kind of come to the text and as we surrender ourselves to the text, 
that you'll have kind of a revelation from the Holy Spirit, that the Lord will nudge your heart, that the Lord will nudge my heart. And that this won't just be a time that we're moving through a text that we might have either read numerous times before, or maybe we've been too nervous. We've been kind of overwhelmed to dive into the book of Romans. And so maybe we've pushed away from it. I hope that you will kind of join us and and really move uh, through this week uh, after week. You see, Paul is wanting to gospelize this church. He's wanting them to fully embrace and understand what the gospel, the good news is. Now, what we have to do is remember that Paul, who's writing this, has a background of a Pharisee. You understand that Paul is is set apart kind of for this work of a Pharisee early on in his life, but to say that he's a Pharisee is just to sanitize actually what his behavior was. You see, he was a Pharisee, but he was also a terrorist against the church of Jesus in the first century. You can look in the book of Acts and you can see that there is this there's this man, this God-fearing man, this godly man named Stephen. And Stephen is murdered because of his love for Jesus. He's murdered and killed by the hands of men just like Paul. A matter of fact, Paul, the Bible says, was there giving approval and also serving as kind of the coat check for the men that came to stone Stephen. Paul, Paul was not only involved in the murdering of Christians, He had letters to go and murder more Christians. Paul is not just this simple religious figure. And when we say Paul's a Pharisee, what we might end up doing is separating the terror that Paul was wreaking on the early church. And so what I want us to be reminded on the writer of the book of Romans, it's important for us to know that Paul was so far away from God that Jesus actually meets him and arrests him kind of on the way to Damascus. What a conversion story. You can read about it in Acts chapter nine. What a a story about someone who is completely going the opposite direction that God actually can get a hold of them and their life can be radically transformed. And the purpose that they were on actually gets renewed and God begins to breathe life so that the purpose becomes the actual opposite of what he was doing in his life. He goes from murdering Christians to now being the person who is taking the gospel message to the ends of the known world at that time. Be encouraged, friend, if you've ever felt like you were too far for God to use you or that might your history may prevent you from being used in the future for God. Can I just remind you that the writer of the book of Romans was killing Christians? Can I remind you that Paul was so far away from God in the early season of his life, he was so passionate to pursue the things of God that he actually missed the work of God in his midst. Do you identify with that? Do you identify that sometimes your passions might be so strong, but they actually might be misguided? That your convictions may take you in one direction, but the reality is is it may be taking you in the opposite direction from the person of Jesus. And so Paul wants the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And remember the good news being the announcement that God's reign is coming to earth because God himself has come to redeem, to shepherd, and to save. Paul steps in, his ministry steps into this sort of same prophetic timetable. And you'll see the language that's even used that Paul uses of himself actually harkens back to some of those call experiences that we see of the prophets. He starts out and he begins to say that he is a servant 
of Christ Jesus. And here's what I want us to really grab hold of. And I want us to see this language in the very beginning as Paul describes himself. First and foremost, he says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It literally means that he had put himself under the authority of God, that he was fully submitted to God, that he was no longer in control. He was no longer driving and directing his life. He was submitted as a slave, as a bondservant to Christ Jesus. He goes on to say he's not only a servant, but he's an apostle. This radical summons, this divine call, this is where there's that connection to the prophetic sort of tradition. You think back to call experiences like in Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah is basically summoned into the purpose of God. That's what happens to Paul in Acts chapter nine as he's on the road to Damascus. His encounter with Jesus summons him into a new way of life. This wasn't just him answering sort of a job posting online somewhere. This wasn't him taking on a new job. This is Paul being summoned by Jesus, by God himself, into the work of taking the good news, the gospel message, not just to the Jews, but also then to the Gentiles. Do you see, do you see the beauty and the call of God on Paul's life? That in one season, he was set apart He was set apart as a Pharisee and he would keep away from then what would be considered unclean and the sinner. Do you see now that he describes himself set apart? But the set apart actually means he is set apart for the purpose of the sinners that he once was distant from. There's the beauty of the gospel message in our life, friends. The trajectory of our life may have been one direction, but when we encounter the risen Christ it moves to a completely different direction. See, Paul wants this church to be gospelized. He wants them to be conformed to the pattern and the teachings of the gospel because he realizes that the gospel is not exclusively spiritual. It's not just a spiritual message, but in Rome, in that time, and in that city, much like our city and much like the place that we find ourselves, that the gospel is not only spiritual, but it is also political. It is also social in nature. And you don't sacrifice one for the other, but you realize the tension and the power and the potency of the gospel is not just that it should be regulated into one of those areas. To think that the gospel is just about your inner life is to to miss the fact that the gospel actually is about your entire life. In the same way that we lived with devoted hearts and lives, mind, body, soul, and strength unto God, the gospel message also comes to renew and restore your mind, your body, and your soul. It is not just a spiritual narrative, but it is one that thrusts us to the very forefront of society, the church would have known that, and also the citizens of Rome would have known that the message that Paul was delivering and that with that the contents of this letter, that it was not just about their spiritual life, but it was about everything else. The moment that you make the declaration that Jesus is Lord is to at the same time say that no longer is Caesar the only Lord. So please don't miss that this is a letter written to a church in a specific setting, at a specific time, in a specific place, but don't miss that it has direct connection to where we are today. Paul says of himself that he's a servant, that he's an apostle, 
and that he's set apart, what he understands for this church and what he wants to get them kind of focused on very, very early on is the gospel message. I told you that the the letter was theological and it was pastoral. It's easy for us to think that the, that the gospel, that the gospel message is only sort of delivered in one way or it only feels one way. And I just want to simply say this to you. If we're not careful, the gospel that we embrace is a fractured one. And if you have a fractured gospel, then you have broken people. You see, a fractured gospel is a gospel that is just small. It's just confined to, to one area. The salvation of my soul, that's the only gospel message. I'm just telling you that's not consistent with the scriptures. What's consistent with the scriptures is that the gospel message was, yes, about the restoration of all things, your soul included, but also restoring everything, everything in our midst. Paul wants them to live this way. It's a sad thing when we've taken the gospel and we've reduced it to just thinking it's a big cosmic eraser that takes away the sin from our earth, from from our life. You see, Jesus did not come, die, and then be raised again to new life just so that our sins might be forgiven. That is a portion of it. Yes, please don't mishear me. But also, please don't forget that Jesus came not only to forgive sin, but Jesus came so that he might fulfill the mission of Messiah on earth. This is why Paul, over and over in this text, and even in his other writings, will use phrases like this, to fulfill what the scripture said to fulfill what the scripture said, because he wants you to know that Jesus was not just this rescue mission or this rescuer of divine origin that was disconnected from the work that God had been doing all along. You see, the Bible should be read as as one story that is connected in each century and each time. And Paul is wanting you to know that this good news, friends, that Jesus has come to redeem, to rescue, to save, to fulfill, is a news that everything then has to grow from. You see early on in this text, the first mention of grace is found in verse five in this entire text. Grace is a word that is so important to Paul's writing. But when we see grace mentioned here for the very first time, I want you to see and I want you to notice that it's grace to be an apostle, meaning this, that there is a gracious purpose on Paul's life. And he wants you to to see that it is the grace of God that enables him to be an apostle of God. Can I ask you this question? What are you graced to do? See, too often we think of grace as just the gift of salvation, but we forget that that grace also propels you to do something. See, grace is something that I receive, but grace is also something that I should be willing to give away. And oftentimes the way in which I give away grace, the way in which I give away that God has done is seen from the way in which my life is purposed. Do you see grace as a purpose agent in your life? Do you see grace as a purpose agent in your life? Do you see grace as moving you in to the places of deep, in dire need, or is the gospel that you've embraced a broken one because it was too simple of a gospel? You see, when you have a simple gospel that loses sight of all the areas in which grace and the good news desires to go, you'll begin to say things and feel things like this. Only the work of the kingdom is is regulated to this portion of society, pastors, and that's it. 
You see, it's a dangerous thing when you begin to think that the carriers of the good news are only those that have pastoral callings. We miss what Paul says later on in another one of his letters where he talks about the fivefold ministry of the kingdom, where we begin to understand that there are different functions, there are different rules, and what, what different roles, excuse me, what Paul wants you and I to grab hold of, friends, is that we are graced to fulfill the purpose on our life and the purpose on our life is to announce the good news, to announce that the kingdom of God has come, to do just what we see Jesus doing, announcing the kingdom of God, also announcing that God is reigning and we bring those into reality wherever our feet step. So maybe you're an educator. Do you see yourself as being graced to bring the purpose of God into reality in that sphere? Maybe your business. See, if you're only viewing your business as a means to demonstrate your successfulness rather than a, an opportunity to bring the kingdom of God here on earth, you're missing that you have been graced for that purpose. Paul has been graced to be an apostle. Been graced to be an apostle. I, I want us to grab hold of a couple of things. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. When you read this text, I want you to, to grab hold of these things first, is, is to know and to live the gospel. This is the crux of what Paul is saying in these first seven verses. That I want you to know and I want you to live the gospel. Listen to me. It's not enough for you just to have actions. You have to have an understanding of why you're doing it. It's not enough for you just to simply have an intellectual understanding of what you're doing. You must have actions that demonstrate it. It's not an either or, friends. It's a both and. It's a both and. You and I are supposed to know what the gospel message is, but we are also supposed to be able to live the gospel message. Our gospel, the good news of Jesus, drives our theology. So I told you before, this is a book of, of theological and pastoral approaches. But the theological and pastoral approach begins at the same place, and it begins in the gospel. The good news authenticates the church. You see, the gospel message is what shows the reason and the purpose for the church's existence. The church isn't just a social club. The church isn't just a gathering where we sing some songs that we like. It's not just a gathering where we see friends, but there's a sense when we gather together, the good news of, of Jesus is on display. The kingdom of God is seen in and among us. It authenticates the mission of the church. It's paramount for discipleship. If we don't have an understanding of the gospel, if the church in Rome doesn't have an understanding of the gospel, then the discipleship and disciple-making process fails because you're being discipled into what? See, unfortunately for many of us, we've been discipled into someone else's personality. We've been discipled into someone else's disposition or someone else's point of view on the scriptures. What I'm wanting for us as we're reading the book of Romans is to receive just what the Roman church received. Paul's gospel message, his letter to them, so that they would understand fully what it is to embrace the gospel, to live the gospel, to think the gospel, to know the gospel to the deep places of their heart, and then seeing the gospel expressed in their life. The, the church is the essence, the essence of a community 
that is gospelized. Listen to me, when the gospel moves into a community, the church is a byproduct out of it. We are a gathering of those who have heard the good news. You see, in the church, we're we're familiar with things like sacraments. We're familiar with baptism. We're familiar with communion. Hear me on this. The sacraments, those are a means of grace, meaning this, they are symbols of the gospel. So when we gather together, the good news is, is the essence of our community. It's the essence of our church. It's also the essence of sacraments, the practices of the church. The gospel is the center of theological thought. It's the center of worship. It's the center of us being reminded of what God has done and is doing in our midst. The gospel is the center of discipleship. I know that seems like a a no-brainer. I'm just saying to you what's more often happening than not for many of us is that we're simply just being discipled into someone else's ideas. And I want us to be discipled by the word of God. I want us to be discipled by the gospel that Paul delivers us. I I want us to to grab hold of this phrase. I hope you'd write it down. That we would have a gospel-driven spirituality. That we would have a good news-centered spirituality. And it wouldn't be just a cultural construct or it wouldn't be just a a cultural deforming of the gospel, but it would genuinely be Bible. It would genuinely come from the text and shape and mold us. And we would be willing to let go of the things that need to be let go of. That we would then take in and embrace maybe afresh and anew the things that we might have loosened our grip on, but we need to once again grab hold of it, friends. Second thing I want you to grab hold of is is this, and you see it in this text, and one author writes it this way. He uses this phrase, a theologian, uh, N.T. Wright, says it, that it's a believing obedience. A believing obedience. Or maybe you write it this way, that the only faith that matters is obedient faith. What Paul says to this church in the first seven verses is not only does he talk about his sort of call experience and where he's at, Not only does he let them know that he has thought of them, not only does he let them know that they're called to have a position in this, but he reminds them of kind of this retelling of of the gospel. You you see it here around verses four and five and, and six. There's this sense that he gives this sort of creedal formula, this sort of retelling and reciting and rehearsing what the gospel message is, the good news, and how it connects to the Old Testament. Notice whenever Paul talks about the good news, he's not talking about it isolated in just New Testament reality. He's always connecting it to the Old Testament. He's always connecting it to Abraham. He's always connecting it into the line of David. He wants you to know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he didn't just come on the scene, but that he has been, and he's the one that they've been searching and waiting for. And he says to the people of this church, and he says to us, that we are called to have a believing obedience. Meaning this, that it's not enough for you to simply just know some things and be able to recite some things, but that you and I must allow our knowing, our believing to move into action and to doing. You're, You're probably familiar with James in the New Testament where he says this, that faith without works is dead. See, the problem with us is we're, we're, we're having a fractured sort of discipleship and a broken discipleship when we make the decision to choose either one of these. Oh, I've got actions. I've got works. Let me show you. Let me show you what I'm doing. But oftentimes we're doing things out of a motiv- motivation that may be egocentric. 
rather than being gospel-centered. But see, if I take this to be, to be very important in my life, a believing obedience, meaning this, that my obedience is in response to the good news. It's in response to what I believe. It's not separated out. It's why for us always here at Hill City Church, when we talk about Hill City Cares, when we go into the city and we love our neighbors, when we show our heart by way of our hands, it is never separated from the gospel. It's the way in which we express the gospel. It's why the church of Jesus is not merely a social justice movement. Because to be a social justice movement may take us away of the gospel message, but the gospel message must embrace social change and social activity. Do you see that connection? But it's very, very easy for us to separate it out. Why? Because the good news, it's good for some, but for others, it's confounding the wise. The good news restores and redeems. But for others, the Bible even says this, that the good news of Jesus actually has become a stumbling block for others. And so here's what we do. Sometimes in our desire to be gracious towards others, we loosen the grip. We dilute the gospel because it's much easier just to do social justice than it is to be gospel-centered. And for us, I want us to have a gospel driven obedience, a gospel-driven spirituality. You see, obedience is the test of discipleship. You want to grow, friend, in your relationship with Jesus? You want to become more of a follower of Jesus, a disciple? Then hear me on this. Obedience is the test of discipleship. Obedience is also the sign that God's covenant promises and God's renewal are being brought to pass. Hear me on that. It is a sign. Not only is it a test of your obedience, the, the test of your discipleship, but it is also, friend, a sign that God's pro covenant promises and renewal that it's still at work and it's still being fulfilled to this day. You may want to write it simply this way. We need to have place for the creeds. Many of you are familiar with this. Some of you even grew up in churches where you would gather around and you would stand up and open your hymnal maybe at the very beginning and you would recite Maybe the Apostles' Creed, you'd recite that. Uh, and I've been in, in congregant worship where this takes place. And, and can I just tell you, it's very, very depressing. Very depressing when they open it up and they, they just will read, and I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. Like there's just no, there's no punch to it. Why? Because somewhere along the line, the creed, the pronouncement and profession of faith became routine. See, what happens when things become routine is it loses its passion. It loses its punch, loses its dynamic. You see, I believe that we should be creedal. Meaning this, I, I think that there should be statements of faith. Paul outlines that for us even in this first few verses. That we should have ways in which we can surmise and ways in which we can succinctly talk through the things that we believe. Creeds began, began as baptismal confessions before people would be baptized. They would make this proclamation, this declaration. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I think there's a place for us to have creeds. Maybe for you, you sit down this week and you're, maybe your quiet time with the Lord, maybe time with your family. Why don't you just begin talking about the things in which you believe? Why don't you begin to talk about the gospel as Paul shares it with us here in chapter one, verse seven? Not just your thoughts, but allow the scriptures to form what it is that we believe. Begin to share that, begin to rehearse that. 
Rehearse the saving deeds of God and allow the good news to be central in your worship. So we want to be about the creeds, but friends, we also want to be about the deeds. We want to find ways to put hands and feet to the words that we say. Not only do we want to say things like the good news has come, but we want to be able to show you what the good news is. There are things that we want to know about God and there are things that we want to do in the name of God. So friends, my prayer for us, as we continue to move through this text, as we are on this journey to understand the words that Paul shares to this church in Rome that's trying to figure out how to become unified. Paul says to them, the only way in which you're unified is by becoming unified in Christ. Stand on the gospel, friends, and you'll find your footing to be very, very sure. So friends, my prayer for you as we kind of close our time together is that you would know that God has graced you for a purpose. And the grace on your life is not just to redeem you and to restore you and to make you new. It is those things. But may you also know that the grace of God is to propel you into purpose, that the kingdom of God might be taken wherever your feet land. And may the good news of Jesus be on your lips, but may the good news of Jesus also be on your hands as well. We love you, church. Grace and peace. Thank you, church, again for tuning in with us. I pray that you were encouraged, uh, even challenged maybe by that message. Uh, if something kind of resonated with you, we want to hear about it. You can uh, go onto our website. Uh, you can just let us know again uh, how God is moving in your life. Maybe you got a prayer request. Uh, you can go right online. We would love again to be praying with you, celebrating with you uh, as well. Uh, so you guys get prepared just for having a great week. Uh, we'll see you guys next week.